0: Thank you for listening to our church podcast, where it is our joy to share helpful truths from the Bible. We pray this serves as one more tool to help develop leaders within our church and community who love and honor Jesus and reveal it by loving others. If you have any questions or comments about any of the messages, we invite you to join us on any Wednesday, 6 p.m., for a group discussion on the passages and sermons found here. Scripture reading this morning will be from the book of Luke, chapter 1. We'll be looking at verses 39 through 56. It's Luke 1, verses 39 through 56, and I'll ask that you just follow along as I read. Starting verse 39. And Mary arose in those days and went into the hill country with haste into a city of Judah, and entered into the house of Zacharias and saluted Elizabeth. And it came to pass that when Elizabeth heard the salutation of Mary, the babe leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Ghost. And she spake out with a loud voice, and said, Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb. And whence is this to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For lo, as soon as the voice of thy salutation sounded in mine ears, the babe leaped in my womb for joy. And blessed is she that believed, for there shall be a performance of those things that were told her from the Lord. Mary said, My soul doth magnify the Lord, and my spirit hath rejoiced in God, my Savior. For he hath regarded the low estate of his handmaiden, and uh, behold, from henceforth all generations shall call me blessed. For he that is mighty hath done to me great things, and holy is his name. And his mercy is on them that fear him from generation to generation. He hath showed strength with his arm, he hath scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts, he hath put down the mighty from their seats, and exalted them of low degree. He hath filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he hath sent away empty. He hath in his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, as he spake to our fathers, to Abraham, to his seed forever. And Mary abode with her about three months, and returned to her own house. Father, I pray that as we look at your word this morning, just for these next few minutes, that you would uh, teach us, Lord, guide us, direct our lives uh, from our study in this text today. God, I pray that you would help me to accurately and clearly explain what is intended by this passage and help us all to profit from it and from looking at your word this morning. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen. Last week we looked at uh, Gabriel's announcement of the birth of Jesus to Mary. And we talked about how Jesus would be the Messiah, the fulfillment of those prophecies. He would be the king that was promised in in the line of David. And today we're going to be looking at Mary's visit to her relative Elizabeth. And we'll notice this week as we work through this related story... Uh, two aspects of both Mary and Elizabeth that I want to draw out uh, especially. And that is, uh, first of all, their humility. And we'll see this as we go through this. You may have already kind of picked up on this, the sense of humility that both Mary and Elizabeth show. And then their uh, praising and rejoicing of God and how He's working in their lives. And we want to look uh, at the conclusion of our sermon. We'll look at how these two th- thoughts are connected, how humility and a sense of our own unworthiness leads to gratitude which then leads to praise of God. So that's where we're headed this morning. And our text last week showed us that Mary was visited by the angel Gabriel. And we saw that Gabriel begins the conversation by calling Mary highly favored or highly graced. She was not deserving of this privilege of being the mother of Christ. She is simply uh, the recipient of God's unmerited favor. And remember, she was confused by this greeting. She didn't understand why she was considered highly favored by God. Uh, She clearly did not Consider herself to be worthy of this, and yet she's told that she's going to give birth to the eternal King that's promised in the Old Testament, and that this is going to happen by means of uh, the Holy Spirit. That the Holy Spirit, remember, would come upon Mary and cause her to have this child that would be the Son of God. And then the angel uh, Mary responds by saying, uh, basically, "You can do whatever you want with me, God. I'm your slave, remember, And, and that submission to the will of God." And then the angel leaves. And imagine Mary's thinking at this point, again, she's, she's probably around 13 years old, just this teenage girl, and you just get told all of this by an angel. Can you imagine the rest of your afternoon? I mean, what a shocking uh, event in the life of Mary. She's just been told this unbelievable news that she's going to give birth to the Son of God. Even though she's a virgin, the Holy Spirit would implant in her a son named Jesus who would be the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies and who would reign as king forever. But Mary can't exactly tell people this. Nobody's going to believe her. Nobody's going to listen to her story. And so she has this unbelievable event that just took place, and she can't talk about it. But there's one person that she could talk to, right? Because remember, Gabriel mentioned to Mary, uh, last week we saw this, that, uh, that her relative Elizabeth had likewise had a miraculous birth that the angel had predicted. And so Mary, in this next story, goes immediately to see her relative Elizabeth I think for two reasons. Number one, to validate that the angel's telling the truth. Because remember, uh, Gabriel tells her, uh, you can have confidence that what I'm telling you is going to take place. Go look at your relative Elizabeth. She gave birth as an old lady. That's a sign to you. And so no doubt there's a little bit of that. But then also, uh, I think that maybe she just wanted somebody to talk to about this. Somebody that actually would believe her and rejoice with her at what, what God was doing. And so in verse 39, we see that Mary heads to visit Elizabeth. And before we dive into that this morning, I do want to tie up one loose end from last week that I did not get to, uh, and it fits with where we're going this morning. And that is, uh, Gabriel mentions to Mary that Jesus will be the fulfillment of God's promise to King David, uh, that there would be someone who would reign on his throne, a descendant of his that would reign as king forever. And I want us quickly just to look back in 2 Samuel uh, to where this promise is given, and just note King David's response. Notice Second Samuel seven verse twelve says, When the when thy days be fulfilled, and thou shalt sleep with thy father. He's telling David, uh, when you die, I will set up thy seed after thee, which shall proceed out of thy bowels, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build an house for my name. This is all of that is speaking about Solomon, who's going to be uh David's son who would build the temple. But then this last part uh says, I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. So there's the promise, the, the initial promise, and it's mentioned many times in the Old Testament, but this is the very first place where God comes to King David and says, I'm going to establish your kingdom, your dynasty, forever. Someone's going to come and sit on, your, on, on a, a descendant of yours is going to sit on the throne of Israel, and he will reign as king forever. And notice David's response to this in verse 18. It says, Then went King David in and sat before the Lord, and he said, Who am I, O Lord God, and what is my house? that thou hast brought me hitherto. You see the humility of David here. He doesn't feel worthy of this privilege. Uh, Verse 19, this was yet a small thing in thy sight, O Lord God, but thou hast spoken also of thy servant's house for a great while to come. And is this the manner of men, O Lord God? You see, David's just, he's shocked. He can't believe that God is blessing him in this way. Verse 20, and he speaks in third person here. He says, what can David say more unto thee? For thou, Lord God, knowest thy servant. You know who I am. You know I'm nothing. Verse 21. For thy word's sake and according to thine own heart hast thou done all these great things to make thy servant know them. again, he's acknowledging the grace of God that he didn't deserve this privilege. Verse 22. Wherefore, thou art great, O Lord God. There is none like thee, neither is there any God beside thee, according to all that we have heard with our ears. And what one nation in the earth is like thy people, even like Israel, whom God went to redeem for a people to himself, and to make him a name, and to do for you great things and terrible for thy land before thy people, which thou redeemest to thee from Egypt, from the nations, from their gods. Verse 24, for thou hast confirmed thyself, thy people Israel, to be a people unto thee forever, and thou, Lord, art become their God. And now, O Lord God, the word that Thou hast spoken concerning Thy servant and concerning his house, establish it forever and do as Thou hast said and let Thy name be magnified forever, saying, The Lord of hosts is the God over Israel and let the house of Thy servant David be established before thee. You see David's response to this promise of an eternal kingdom, uh, someone who, a descendant of his that would reign on the throne forever. David responds in humility. He feels unworthy of this grace that God is showing him and he magnifies God and praises him for his goodness towards him. And so just took that away in your mind, uh, and we'll come back to that a little bit later this morning. So verse 39, uh, we see Mary arose in those days, and she went to the hill country with haste. Very quickly, she, after being told this story, uh, or not the story, but this announcement of the arrival of Jesus, she very quickly goes to the city in Judah in the hill country where her relative Elizabeth lives. And Luke doesn't tell us specifically what city this is, but being that it's in the hill country of Judah, which is in the southern part of Israel, and we know from earlier in the story, Mary's from Nazareth, which is in Galilee, the northern part. This would have been at least a 60-mile journey, possibly up to 100 miles. So this would have taken her probably four days or so uh, on foot to walk from her, her town to where Zacharias and Elizabeth lived. And verse 40 says she enters into Zacharias' house and she greets Elizabeth. And verse 41, notice the response came to pass that when Elizabeth heard... Uh, the salutation, is the greeting of Mary, the babe, this is John the Baptist, remember, in, in Elizabeth's room, uh, leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Ghost. So Elizabeth hears the greeting of Mary, and little John the Baptist, uh, still just a baby in the womb, leaps for joy inside of her. And then Elizabeth, filled with the Holy Spirit, utters these words to Mary. She says, uh, says she spake out with a loud voice and said, "'Blessed art thou among women,' And blessed is the fruit of thy womb. And whence is this to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Remember when God told King David that his offspring would sit on the throne forever and have this eternal reign, David said, Who am I that you should treat me this way? And this is a similar thing to what to what Elizabeth is saying. When, when the angel tells Mary that she would be the one to give birth to the king, Mary feels that same sense of unworthiness. And here, Elizabeth, she doesn't even feel worthy to be visited by the mother Of her Lord. She feels like uh, this is a privilege that she has not earned. She and Mary are both humble people, amazed that God would show such favor to them. Notice that Elizabeth refers to the child in Mary's womb as Lord, and that's the same term she uses in verse 45 uh, to refer to God. So here again, the acknowledgement that Mary recognizes Jesus, even though he's not born yet, he's just uh, in the womb of Mary. Elizabeth recognizes that this is God that's about to be born through Mary. She continues her statement to Mary in verse 44, For lo, as soon as thy vo- the voice of thy salutation sounded in mine ears, the babe leaped in my womb for joy. And blessed is she that believed, that's Mary, for there shall be a performance of those things which were told her from the Lord. We talked last week about how John the Baptist, he pointed people to Jesus in his life. And of course, John's not born yet at this point in the story, but he would go on to, for, for his entire life, basically point people to the one who's coming after him. And then when Jesus arrives on the scene, uh, he he directs people to follow him. He announces the arrival of the Messiah. And here is his first announcement. Uh, he's not even born yet. He's just in Elizabeth's womb. And yet he's announcing and directing attention to this coming Messiah. And as a side note, this is uh, the fulfillment of what we saw last uh, a couple of weeks ago when Zechariah was told that uh, from the, the angel Gabriel, that John would be filled with the Holy Spirit while he was yet in the womb of his mother. This is the fulfillment of that uh, prophecy. Verse 46, notice Mary's response uh, as she humbly de- deflects praise back to God. Verse 46, Mary said, My soul doth magnify the Lord, and my spirit hath rejoiced in God my Savior. And it goes on from there. She uh, just bursts forth in this song of praise and it's known as the magnificant. if you've ever heard of that. it's uh, It comes from the Latin Vulgate's translation of this. The, the first word in Greek here in verse 46 is magnify. It's ahead of uh, normal word order, which it doesn't work in English, so it, it gets moved around in the translation. But uh, that first word in Latin comes out as magnificant, and that's how this ends up being named. It's a very famous uh, song of praise that Mary gives. And it's an expression of praise to God that's very similar to the one that Hannah gives in 1 Samuel 2. You remember, Hannah was a barren woman who couldn't have a child. She prays, and then God gives her a little baby Samuel. And when she receives this son from God, she similarly bursts out in in song. And over the next few verses, as Mary continues this song of praise, she actually quotes from about a dozen different Old Testament texts almost verbatim, particularly in the book of Psalms. And so this shows us that Mary's mind is one that's saturated in the Scripture, in the Old Testament. Notice she says in in verse 46 and 47, her soul and spirit are magnifying and rejoicing in God. And these two words refer to the inner part of a person. She's not just saying, my my mouth is praising you. No, the, the inner part of her, the depths of her soul is rejoicing and praising God. She begins her song by declaring that her rejoicing uh, in God and then in, in verse 48 she gives the reason for this. She says, For he, speaking of God, hath regarded the lowest state of his handmaiden. Remember that's the word for slave in Greek, doula, or doula in this case is feminine, but uh, she, she's saying I'm praising God because he has regarded the lowest state of me, his servant, and behold from henceforth all generations shall call me blessed. God took notice of this lowly servant girl. And from now on, all generations are going to consider me a blessed woman. That's what she's saying here. And notice again, the focus is not on Mary and her greatness. No, Mary is uh, focusing attention on God and how she is totally unworthy of this. And yet God is so great because look at what he did for me. This is all about uh, God's goodness. She's blessed by God. She's the recipient of his blessing. Not that she did anything or that she was anything in and of herself. She doesn't consider herself to be anything special. I think that comes across very clearly in her words. She doesn't think she's all that in a bag of chips. Like uh, Roman Catholicism treats her with this veneration that Mary herself would have absolutely rejected. She did not feel herself to be worthy of this honor. She's amazed that God would use her in this way. Verse 49, she continues, For he that is mighty hath done to me great things, and holy is his name. Again, the focus is on God. He's done great things for me, even though I am unworthy. It's very similar to, the, to David's song of thanksgiving in, in uh, 2 Samuel 7. Verse 50, Mary expands the focus out from God's blessing to her to what God does for all of His humble servants. So verse 50, uh, she, she kind of brings the focus back out and says, His mercy is on them that fear Him from generation to generation. He hath showed strength with His arm. He hath scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He hath put down the mighty from their seats or their thrones, actually in Greek, thronos, uh, and he has exalted those of low degree. So God casts down the proud rulers of this world and exalts the humble servants. In verse fifty three: He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away and em- he has sent empty away. And we mentioned uh, in our first week, if you'll remember, back uh, several weeks ago, actually, now when we first began our study of Luke. One of the key themes throughout Luke's gospel is God's concern for the poor and the weak and the outcasts of society and how he is uh, bringing the kingdom of God specifically uh, to reach those people. And Mary praises God for choosing to accomplish his plan through humble people like herself. And this is just a fascinating thing that God is, right now he's beginning the most important, think about this, the most important three decades in the history of the world is starting right here. I mean, you can't argue that there's no more important... In, in the view of God, there's no more important time period than the life and ministry of Christ. And he's about to begin this, this all-important moment in human history with the birth of John the Baptist and then follow that the birth of Christ and his ministry. And the focal point of all the Bible is, is drawing attention to this period in history. And where is God? He's with two obscure women, one elderly and barren, the other a teenage girl... And he's deciding to work through these people. He's not coming to kings and those in great uh, status to bring about his work in the world. No, he's going to the humble servants. And Mary is so moved by this vision of God, the lover of the lowly, that she breaks out in song. Mary's praise then takes another shift where now she's focusing on how God is fulfilling his covenant promises to Israel in sending the Messiah. Notice in verse uh, 54, He hath... Uh, hoping or helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spake to our fathers, to Abraham, to his seed forever. He's helped Israel uh, remembering to be merciful because he's he's made these promises to our ancestors, she's saying, to Abraham and to his descendants. And that first promise given to Abraham was that all the families of the earth would be blessed. You remember this in Genesis 12, a famous passage in the Old Testament. It says, uh, this is God speaking to Abraham, I will bless them that bless thee and curse him that curseth thee. And in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. And ultimately that promise comes to its fulfillment in Christ, a descendant of Abraham, uh, by whom all of us today are, are blessed As Christians, we we were given eternal life because of this descendant of Abraham. And so the the promise of God throughout the Old Testament uh, of this coming Messiah who would bring about the blessing of God, these are all coming to fulfillment in the birth of Christ. He's the one that would save God's people from their sins. And in verse uh, 56, Luke concludes the story by saying, Mary abode with her, with Elizabeth, about three months and returned to her own house. And it's likely that she stayed until the birth of John. Remember, this story starts uh, when Elizabeth is six months pregnant. So if she's there for three months, it would have been right around the time that John the Baptist was born that Mary left. So that's kind of an explanation of this text. It's pretty simple. There's not a whole lot confusing about it, but what are we supposed to learn from this? What are we supposed to draw from it? I think the main application is that God delights in using humble people, and we've got to praise Him for that. I think if we learn anything from Mary's song of praise is that God isn't impressed with our money. He's not impressed with our status. He's not impressed with our our power. Rather, He extends His grace and mercy to those who fear Him and walk humbly in His ways, which are often the, the most simple people in humble circumstances. Those with power and status generally don't tend to be followers of God, whereas the humble, the outcasts of society, often are more receptive to Him. And this, this really goes along with what James says in James 4.6 when he writes, He giveth more grace, wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. So if, if we are proud this morning, we ought to be convicted by this text. God will bypass you and use someone else to accomplish his will if you're proud. Someone who recognizes their own unworthiness. Somebody who will give all of the praise and the credit to him. That's who God will use. Jesus, uh, God didn't choose for Jesus to be born into riches or fame, but to a lowly girl from Nazareth, about to be married to a carpenter. This is not exactly a prestigious family in Israel. If you feel like uh, maybe you're on the opposite end, you're not necessarily uh, steeped in this pride of your heart, but maybe you feel insignificant. Maybe you feel like you're not, you're not a whole lot to God. You can't be worth that much. You ought to be encouraged by this text. You're just the kind of person that God loves to use. God used in in the Old Testament, he was a a talking donkey to correct Balaam. God used David, even though he was the youngest of his brothers. God used Gideon, and he was a coward. God used Jonah, and he was disobedient. God used Lazarus, and he was dead. I mean, God can use anybody. It's not about what we have to offer God. And if you don't feel like you have much to offer, just be reminded by this text that God can still use you. And I mentioned at the beginning of our study that we would see Mary and Elizabeth displaying humility that then leads to praising God. And I think there's a relationship between these two things that explains why God loves to use humble people. And I wrote this, uh, this statement that I think synthesizes this. God loves exalting humble people and using them to accomplish great things because they recognize their unworthiness and direct praise back to God. So I'll read that one more time. Uh, This is really the sermon down into one sentence. Here it is. God loves exalting humble people and using them to accomplish great things because they recognize their unworthiness and direct praise back to God. I think that's why he delights in using the humble people because if we're proud and we think we're all that and then God uses us, uh, we tend to think we we just uh, credit that to our own abilities and our own uh, ourselves. Whereas humble people who recognize uh, that they're nothing. We're just servants of God. We don't have anything to offer Him. Those, of us, those who, who consider themselves to be unworthy of God's blessing rejoice and praise God at the privilege of being so blessed. And John Piper said it this way, the only people whose soul can truly magnify the Lord are people like Elizabeth and Mary, people who acknowledge their lowly estate and are overwhelmed by the condesc- cond- uh, sorry, condescension of the magnificent God humility leads to gratitude. So if you have the mindset that God owes you his blessing and his favor, then you're not going to respond with thanksgiving to his blessing. In fact, uh, you might respond with bitterness when he doesn't bless. But if you have the attitude of total unworthiness, if if you're like Mary or Elizabeth, you recognize your sinfulness, your unworthiness, you'll be moved to praise God for his many blessings throughout your life, chiefly that of being in a relationship with his son. And so I'm saying that uh, a recognition of one's unworthiness is an essential element uh, to a heart of gratitude that leads to genuine worship and praise of God. Do you recognize how blessed you've been? Or do you feel a sense of total unworthiness that then evokes a response of thanksgiving like Mary's? Or do you feel entitled to receive God's blessing and favor? And I think a lot of times in my own life when my heart gets cold towards God and I'm not Uh, worshiping Him like I once was, a lot of times it's because I haven't been thinking much about my own unworthiness. I think that humility is very healthy for us. And as we get a lower view of ourselves, which is a more accurate view of ourselves, everybody in this room has a higher view of ourselves than we should, right? As we get that, that view of ourselves knocked down a few notches, and then we recognize God's goodness to us in our life and His blessing and His mercy on us, that should cause us, uh, our hearts, to overwhelmingly uh, praise God. Notice, throughout this text, a couple of times, the word mercy is mentioned. Uh, verse, verse 50, his mercy is on them that fear him. Uh, Mary mentions that he's remembered his mercy that he's promised uh, to Israel. And so it seems like a recognition of God's mercy coupled with this sense of unworthiness is really what caused Mary to praise God in this way. And so... I guess the question is, how can we cultivate that in our own lives? How can you and I get a sense of our unworthiness and uh, also simultaneously remind ourselves and, and recognize God's mercy in our life? And I think one of the avenues that this this really uh, happens, both of these things happen, is through confession of sin. And this is a concept, I honestly, I struggled with confession of sin for a long time. I didn't understand the purpose of it uh, because I, I felt like you know, when we get saved, our sins are forgiven, our past, present, and future sins, right? They're all wiped away at the moment of our justification. And so if that's the case, then why do we need to confess to God and ask forgiveness for sins? That seems kind of redundant. If He's already forgiven us, why are we asking for forgiveness? And so there were times in my life for sure that I I really didn't confess sin much because I just didn't understand the purpose of it. But as I've been reflecting the last couple of weeks on this, I've really thought what happens when we confess sin, first of all, is if we're confessing specific sins to God and asking His forgiveness, that's reminding us of our own sinfulness. You know, As, as I look back on the previous couple of days and I'm thinking about specific sins that I've committed and I'm, I'm saying those out loud to the Lord and asking for His forgiveness, after a while of doing that, I'm really starting to feel like the sinner that I am. And at the same time, as I'm confessing those sins and I'm asking for forgiveness, I'm reminded of the fact that God already has forgiven me. He's already extended that mercy and washed those sins away. And so uh, what that does is it causes me, uh, my sense of unworthiness grows and my sense of appreciation for God's mercy grows. And that's what leads to this praise of God. So what Mary is saying here, and what Elizabeth also recognizes, her unworthiness of God's blessing, I think a good way to cultivate that in our own lives is through regular confession of sins. It causes us to, to recognize our unworthiness to be called a friend of God. God, you understand what a privilege it is to be in a relationship with Christ. We look at Mary, and we think, man, she was really blessed to be Jesus' mother, right? I mean, we understand that when she talks about how, how overwhelmingly blessed she is. We, we get that, that to be the mother of God, to give birth to the Son of God, that's an incredible privilege. But consider what Luke says a few chapters later in Luke eleven twenty seven. 27, it came to pass, as he spake these things, this is Jesus speaking, a certain woman of the company lifted up her voice and said unto them, Blessed is the womb that bear thee in the paps which thou hast sucked. And he said, Jesus' response, Yea, rather, blessed are they that hear the word of God and keep it. So this woman just calls out in the middle of Jesus' speech and says, Blessed is your mother. Man, what an incredible privilege to be your mother. And he responds by saying, even more blessed are those who hear God's word and keep it. Matthew 12, he said, One said unto him, Behold, thy mother and thy brethren stand without desiring to speak with thee. Jesus answered said, and, and said unto him that told him, Who is my mother and who are my brethren? He stretched forth his hand toward his disciples, his followers, and said, Behold, my mother and my brethren, for whosoever shall do the will of my Father which is in heaven, the same is my brother and sister and mother it is a privilege to be a Christian and to be in relationship with Jesus Christ. And if we recognize our own sinfulness and our unworthiness and the fact that God has given us this great blessing of being His child and being in close relationship with the God of heaven, this should cause us like Mary to burst out in praise to our God who has chosen to abide with us. So the application today is to humble ourselves, recognize our own unworthiness of God's blessing and favor and allow that sense of unworthiness to fuel in our heart personal praise and worship of god my soul doth magnify the lord and my spirit hath rejoiced in god my savior for he hath regarded the low estate of his handmaiden for behold from henceforth all generations shall call me blessed for he that is mighty hath done great to me great things and holy is his name his mercy is on them that fear him from generation to generation he hath showed strength with his arm he hath scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts He hath put down the mighty from their seats and exalted them of low degree. God delights in blessing humble servants. We hope the message you just heard was helpful to you. It means a lot to us that you would join us for this podcast. For more information about our church and meeting times, visit lbcmiller.com or call us at 219-885-9303. We would love to hear from you.